Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Thank you for coming back to hear part two of this interview with Pastor Travis Alltop. I hope hearing the rest of his testimony will be a blessing and a help to you. Let's get started. How did you come to be in the ministry? How did I come to be in the ministry? That's a, that's a, that's a complex question, but a simple question in, in many respects. Sure. Um, as I sat and listened to preachers, um, I began to get a deep, deep interest in the Bible. Um, I had, right before I came to Cornerstone, I had a Church of Christ wear me out with <laughs> Acts 2.38. They opened that up. I, I saw it on a, a church sign as I drove past. It's, and it literally it said, to be saved, obey Acts 2.38. At the time, uh, I went to a pastor, a Baptist friend. It was not Brother Ron Ralph, my pastor at Cornerstone, but it was another Baptist preacher who I respected. And he was a good Baptist preacher. He was a good man. Mm-hmm. And I asked him about the verse. And I said, this looks like maybe you got to be baptized. He right. said, no, no. He goes, you just have to have an understanding of the Greek. And <laughs> yeah. he began to go through Greek words. And I remember I respected what he was saying because he was talking completely over my head. But I remember thinking, okay, but how do I know that's really what's going on? I didn't know. And I thought if I try to debate my point from going to some language that I don't know how— that that's not it just it didn't bring me any right, answers. Right. It didn't bring me any comfort to my heart. Right. But when I said at Cornerstone Baptist Church, one of the first Wednesday nights I was there, uh, that verse was dealt with in depth um, about what was going on. And and all it was, the verse wasn't denied. It was just dealt with and what was going on nationally with the nation of Israel on that special day of Pentecost. And while I I I left there going this, I can believe every verse of my Bible. And take right. it as it stands. Yeah. And I left there excited about that. And from that day forward, I remember going to my pastor and saying, I want to learn the Bible. I want to know how it works. I want to know about God's plan for the Jew, for the nation of Israel. I want to know about God's plan for the church. I want to know what's coming. And, and this Bible has it in here. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, at the time at Cornerstone Baptist Church, actually still it goes on. They have a informal Bible Institute. And so he gave me a 50, uh, 50 tape series on the book of Acts. Wow. And he said, what, he goes, here's what you do. He goes, go through these tapes, have your Bible there, have a dictionary, go through these tapes and make notes. 
He says, when you're done with the notes, bring them to me. And so I started doing that. And, and there were several books of the Bible. There were several topics. There were several books you were assigned to read. And it was just a, a well-orchestrated way to begin to get a handle on, on the whole book as a whole. Right. And I got real hungry for that. And I began to, to learn the Bible. And uh, it was in June of 2003, uh, Pastor Ralph was going to be taking a missions trip. And he called me and he said, I'm going to be gone. And he said, I wondered if you would be willing to do Sunday school for the adult Sunday school class. Well, that was in the main sanctuary. There was probably 150, 160 people in the adult Sunday school at that time, right. which was a that was like the main service, you know, yeah. uh, for Sunday school. And just a couple of days before he called me, I'd been reading through my Bible and I'd come through Acts chapter eight and I read the story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And that just jumped out at me because I was reading that. And I went back and I read it a couple of times. And in, in my own heart, I just said, if I was going to teach or preach something from this passage, I would preach this. And, and it came to my mind that Philip obeyed God, verses 26 through 28. And then verses 31 through 35, he opened his mouth right. and he preached the Lord Jesus. And then verses 36 through 38, he obtained fruit. And I was all proud of myself for alliterating it. And I wrote it out, uh, obey, yeah. open your mouth, obtain fruit. And I had just read a biography of a preacher. And uh, here was a great story that really moved me in that that book about him taking a public stand. And I, I, I put down illustrate using Dallas Billington's book, God is Real. And uh, I remember thinking, I've got, I've got something here to say. And, and I, I didn't, wasn't planning on preaching. I wasn't looking for that. And I just put it in my Bible. Two days later, Brother Ralph calls me and he said, do you have anything you think you could say? Because his belief was any man that's born again, that's saved, ought to be able to get up and edify a group of Christians sure. with a word from the Bible, you know, right. without being called to preach or whatever you want to call it. Right. And so I said, yes, I would love to. And I, I preached in June of 2003 or taught, whatever you want to say. And I remember that those 40 minutes, um, I was I was nervous, but I wasn't dreading it. Right. And I was very excited. I got a lot of very encouraging feedback from some of the older people in the church, and that scared me. <laughs> what scared me about it was I have never been afraid to get up and give an oral book report at school. In fact, the truth of the matter is, <laughs> I liked being in high school. <laughs> I was the class clown. I'm the center of attention. No and way. that that's that's a pride <laughs> thing. That's an ego thing. And that's that's uh, that can be a detriment to a preacher. So that worried me. And then I was I began to just get honest with myself and say, I've stood in front of people and performed on a stage for thousands of people before. I like how it feels to throw that guitar into a microphone, take a guitar solo and hear people whistle and clap and cheer and and then come up and ask you to sign their T-shirt or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so that's flesh. And what scared me is I had been sitting under preaching for a year of some, in my opinion, some of the greatest preachers, Bible-believing preachers in the United States of America. And I'd heard some amazing preaching. I'd watch men hold 300 people spellbound for an hour or an hour and a half by expounding a, a, a deal of the Bible. And then God working through that and people filling an altar up. And that was impressive to me. And the first thing that scared me, and I think it was probably, it's, it probably helped me later on. But the first thing I thought is, wait a minute, if I'm starting to think that I'm a preacher I'm afraid I'm only thinking that because I like to be in front of people. Mm. And I, I did have enough sense to know this, that they call it the sacred desk, the pulpit. To stand behind that pulpit is a very serious responsibility. And I even knew that then. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid of standing up and jumping and saying, oh, hey, you know, I'm called to preach. Because I thought, no, this is just me enjoying 
being, because hey, when you're standing behind the pulpit and there's 200 people out there, you are the center of attention. Now I know God uses preaching sure. and God chose the foolishness of preaching, sure. but I was afraid of that. And so it was two and a half years before I ever stood before a group of people at Cornerstone Baptist Church and said, yes, I believe God has directed me into a specific area of ministry. During all of that time, I was studying my Bible through the Cornerstone Bible Institute. I was in church every time the doors were open. I was praying. I was witnessing. I was trying to help them in their outreach ministries. Yeah. The first time I ever preached on the street was with men from Cornerstone Baptist Church, and I was terrified. I remember <laughs> yeah. thinking, well, this is the this going to be the end. I'm going out in a blaze of glory because we went down to <laughs> Broadway and Fourth Avenue in, in Nashville on a Friday night, and it was it was uh, intense. Yeah. But it's like I did those things because I wanted to do something for the Lord. And as I began to learn the Bible, I began to get a, a desire to, I wanted to share, if that's okay to use that word. <laughs> right, I right. wanted to somehow, I wanted to articulate to other people the truths that God was showing me. And the confusion and the fog that was lifting off the Bible was so liberating. I wanted other people to be liberated. I thought what yeah. God is showing me, I want to show this to somebody else. And I had a burning desire in my heart to preach and teach. And as time went on, and I remember telling Brother Ron, I'm afraid that maybe maybe I just want to be in front of people. And he said, well, he goes, God doesn't play games with people's lives. And he's not going to give you a desire like that and equip you and gift you to do that unless he's got plans for you. He said, but just let the Lord lead. He never pressed. He never pushed. And I remember that finally I prayed, I fasted, and I said, God, I, Brother Ron's motto was, who, you know, people would want to make things spooky. And, yeah. uh, you know, well, I feel like God, you know, spoke to me. And Brother Ron's <laughs> verse or his motto was always, who needs a voice if you have a verse? Yeah. And uh, because the verses in the Bible, the word of God, that is the voice of God in print. Yeah. And so I remember praying and fasting and saying, God, I will do this. But I've got to know that you are in this. And I believe you are, but could you please help me with a Bible verse that I know that it's you? Sure. And that morning, my devotion was uh, the book of Colossians. I read that that morning. And I came to Colossians 4. I wasn't going to try to look for something. I just said, speak to me. I came to Colossians 4, 17, where Paul's closing that epistle out. And he says, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. And when I read that, I read it over a few times and it was like, boom, that's it. Because everything I was getting to do, I was preaching in other people's churches. There was some United Methodist churches that had asked me to come. I had people call me and say, I heard you're a preacher. Well, I've never announced anything. I wasn't pushing on any doors. It was just like God was throwing doors open left and right. And I was preaching constantly. Right. In fact, sometimes when I'd come to Cornerstone on Sunday night, they'd say, wow, would you like a visitor packet? Because I was gone so much, <laughs> uh, not because I wanted to be, but because these opportunities God was laying in my lap. And when I read that verse, when he said, take heed to the ministry, which thou hast received, these were, these were ministry opportunities that I had received at the hand of the Lord. This was not me pushing and saying, hey, if you want me to preach, I'll come to your church. It was just God just blowing doors open left and right. And all it said was fulfill it. And when I saw that God will open the doors, God will give me the ministries he wants me to have. All I've got to do is fulfill what he opens the doors to. Right. And as soon as I saw that, I raced to the church. It was probably 6, 630 in the morning. Brother Ron was already in his study and I came in weeping. And I said, man, God, God has confirmed that. And of course, he said, well, he goes, we were all just waiting for you to catch up with what everybody else knew. <laughs> but we got down and he prayed and uh, 
that was a special day, man. I just remember I was walking on the clouds at work yeah. and I'm thinking, man, I'm a preacher because God told me I was. And it's, uh, I had no idea what the future held, mm-hmm. but I just knew it doesn't matter because whatever he gives me to receive, my job is just to fulfill it. And it wasn't uh, maybe a year, it was year and a half before uh, Danville, Kentucky came onto the radar. As a pastor and a musician, what role has music continued to play? How has it benefited your your ministry? Uh, music has continued to play a big role in my life, especially in the ministry. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say right here that if uh, um, a word of advice, if parents that are in churches, if you had a choice between putting your child in Little League Baseball or putting an instrument in their hand, choose the instrument right. uh, every time. Right. You cannot serve God with a baseball bat and a glove. And I'm not, I love sports. I like competition. When it comes to serving God, you can always find a place for music and singing. Yes, yes. And really, I look back at even the years that I was away from the Lord and ignoring the Lord and doing my own thing, even those experiences God reaches back and uses today. And um, music was just immediately a great help. One of the first ministries I got involved in at Cornerstone Baptist Church was I helped was would help a brother that would go to the jail every week. He went on Thursday nights at six o'clock and he said, Hey, if you want to help me, he said, just come down there, meet me outside the jail. He goes, we'll pray and go in. He goes, bring your guitar. Let's you sing a few hymns. So I got the hymn book out and I started working up some arrangements. It's just simple hymns, just three chord songs. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited. I'd have a pocket full of tracks and a Bible and a guitar. And I would go in there and, uh, and man, Smith County jail was, uh, it's changed since then, but 20 years ago, that place was a dump, man. It was, <laughs> they had, uh, they had orange pajamas, you know, yeah. uh, wrapped around the leaky pipes. There was mold on the wall. <laughs> oh, I mean, there was no separation. The bunks are all packed together down there. I remember we'd go in, it was like a, it was just a, it smelled nasty. The commodes and the urinals were behind you. And in oh. the back, they would hang a blanket and all the card players and, and smokers would be back there that didn't want to hear the preaching, but then they'd pull some uh, milk crates up and sit down. There'd be anywhere from six to 15 men. We'd go in there and when playing that music, I remember thinking, man, I'm, this is a blessing getting help this service because you could get their attention with that music. They enjoyed that music. And then I'd sit down and uh, on one of the milk crates and the preacher would get up and preach. And then afterwards we'd deal with men, hand out tracks, answer questions. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was a great time. Yeah. And I remember right off the bat going, this guitar is a blessing to have this uh, going because uh, you can take it. We started going to nursing homes, nursing homes, special music in church, the jail ministries, all of those things that guitar played a great role in. And it gave me a niche right off the bat that was quickly could help. And every preacher that was going into a nursing home or going to the jail loved to have special music. So I took that guitar and it was immediately a blessing because it was something, you know, music, you can glorify God. That's what music was designed for is to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. So it was a huge inroad. And even still today, um, I, I do special music and many times we'll go to revival meetings. If even if I'm preaching, they'll say, bring your guitar. Cause we'd like you to sing special music. And to this very day, I still get to use, uh, play music. And what's right. even been a greater deal is I always thought, well, my prof- quote professional days are over with, and it's turned out not to be so. In fact, uh, the first time I preached in DeLand at Bible Baptist Church, I brought the guitar, sang some of the songs I've been singing for 10 years and in the jail and the nursing homes. And I had, I don't know how many people say, do you have a CD of that? Just you and the guitar. And I remember thinking, 
wow, church people would want this on a CD. So on the flight home, I flew into Louisville and uh, driving home, I was thinking, and I started getting excited going, hey, that might be an avenue. It was like, God, you know, the the lights come on, that I could still do this. I could still make a recording. I could do some old hymns, public domain, maybe call some of the old guys who who I know are saved or living living clean lives. They could come and help me. We could do a a decent CD because I know the guys to call. That's that's my old life, but there's something salvageable there. So I put a call into Brother Leftwich, Brother Britton. They said, man, that'd be great. And then we called, you know, Brother Darren Vincent, who uh, is still playing his mu- music for a living, but he is a saved man and, and a good brother. And I said, I don't want to do this for some kind of ulterior motive for me. Right. Uh, I want to do this, uh, first of all, so that we can make some music that church people would enjoy. So that first CD, we we did it very basic. The first CD I did in 2010 was called Come Ye Sinners, and it was at Deland that 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 seed was planted in my heart that this would be a good plan. I was in Deland in March. I was in the studio in May, and uh, we we and the studio turned out to be just a converted bedroom. We didn't even book a, a big studio like the ones we did it just as as simple as we could do it. But we brought in an engineer that really knew what he was doing, and we wanted to. We did it all live, right. no vocal tuning, no going back. We did two or three takes of each song, kept <laughs> the best take with yeah. the best feel, and put out a, a CD with twelve songs on it. And uh, and it really seemed to be a blessing to a lot of people. And so Brother Andy said, "You know, this might be something." He said, "We need to start getting material together." And as the years have gone on, all of us involved, Brother Jim Britton, Brother Andy Leftwich, and myself, we've all done CDs. And plan on, as the Lord allows, continuing to work up material. And the next CD I did was the Hallelujah side. And we we booked a regular studio there in Nashville. And uh, what we wanted to do is we wanted to do the music that would be honoring to God, that would be a blessing to Christians. But we also, we did not want to chintz on it. You know, there's no right. reason why Christians right. have to do, they don't have to take the cheap route. And I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. I just thought if I'm going to spend all kinds of money and time in the studio doing secular music, why should Christian music be second rate? Right. So we ordered, we booked the same studios. I told those engineers that, that profess to be Christians, this is what we're doing. And uh, so we wanted it to sound good and it, and, and we did. And we went into a studio, tried to make it as professional as possible. And then just recently I did my third one. I'm going that way, which just came out a couple of months ago. Right. And, uh, and now it's become a thing of when you're going to do the next one. And so the thing <laughs> yeah. that's a real blessing is that music continues to play a part in the ministry and there was a time, uh, truth of the matter is, I, I did some recordings that uh, were okay with, with in secular settings. I'm not ashamed of what we did, but I've, the Lord has opened doors where I've been able to record with some of my heroes, really, in the music from Bluegrass Music right. um, and play some with some people and make some music that I had total control over. I'm arranging, I'm coming up with the idea, you know, and basically I w- I've been able to do more of the music that I love as a preacher in my spare time than I did when I was quote chasing the dream. And it's right. like, so I, I am real thrilled, you know, brother Andy Leftwich, brother Jim Britton, brother Paul Williams, brother Paul Brewster, brother Darren Vincent, these men are all born again that love the Lord. And they've all, many of them, you know, have won Grammys and they're, I'm calling them and they're saying, I'll come and help you with this. They don't charge me. They, they just, uh, donate their time. Wow. And that's, that's really amazing. And it's right. like, and, and I praise the Lord for it. And it's been an exciting part. It's not the main thing, right. but it's a fun thing to do on the side. And, and seemingly people have, have appreciated it. And there's been a, 
there's been a crowd of church going folks that appreciate it and love it. And I've enjoyed getting to do it. As a pastor, who are the people you would say have been your greatest influences? As a pastor, uh, I have several uh, influences. I, I feel very privileged um, to have some of the friends and mentors in the ministry that I have. Some um, have asked, do you regret not going to an accredited Bible college? And my answer is, uh, I, I do not. That's not a slam at Bible colleges. I know there are some good ones out there. And certainly uh, getting educated in the Bible is a good thing. But I, I believe this that Paul taught men personally one-on-one right. and that local church is a great, great uh, training ground. Right. You get yes. involved. You know how churches work. It's not a sterile classroom. It is a, it is a functioning body in that area. And you get to see the pastor deal with things. I, I've, I have to mention, obviously my pastor, brother Ron Ralph is, is my mentor. He's a hero in a lot of ways. The man is one of the most balanced Christian men that I've ever been around uh, he is loaded with wisdom. He's a great preacher. He's a great Bible student. He taught me a lot about how to study the Bible. He's taught me about how to deal with difficult situations. Many times, uh, you know, years ago, they had that the cliche, that bracelet, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, we we understand that that stuff's, you know, but the truth matters. Sometimes I think to myself, what would my pastor do? What would brother right. Ron do? Right. Um, he's always just a phone call away. And uh, I appreciate his help. He's he's guided me around some pitfalls and potholes and snares that you just don't know as a young pastor what's coming. And and those older men that have been in the ministry for 35 and 40 years, they can help you. Mm-hmm. I can name off other men, Pastor Phil Dunn and Pastor Danny Farley. Some of those men, they've been a great uh, help and just being around them and listening um, and I have to definitely mention uh, Pastor Roger Hoots uh, in New Caney, Texas. Um, he has been a great help to me. And uh, watching his good spirit and watching his wisdom working in his life and in his ministry, um, I want to I want to glean those traits from those good men. Right. And I want to learn how to have that balanced, level-headed approach to life and the church and um and, and to be like those men, those men are my heroes and, and I love them and I appreciate they've answered a lot of my questions. They've helped me uh, keep from getting into a lot of messes. And I, I tell you, for me, that kind of uh, experience and that kind of mentorship is worth its weight in gold. And I thank God for the men that God has put in my life. And there are many others uh, that I could name that have had influence in my life and have helped me. Um but, I, you know, we don't have all day, but sure. those are some of the men that had direct influence on my life. And then men who've written books, you know, I mean, Brother James Knox and and some of these men that believe the Bible, that write the write those books. If nothing else, it helps you to learn how to study your Bible by just reading how they have come approached it. And and um, that's a blessing, because I, one thing I have found is uh, I heard it described this way. You know, you can go out in the middle of, of nowhere and find a restaurant. And you come around on Friday evening and the parking lot is packed with cars. And the reason is like, who lives around here? It doesn't matter. If people know where they can get a good meal, they're driving there. And most churches, I fear, do not get the meals that they need. And Bible preaching is a lost art. I'm talking about real sermons and real expository preaching. And when Christians find that and realize this is what I've been missing, it's, it's attractive to them. It's, it's a, it's a need that's not being filled. I'm afraid. And so being around those kind of men who preach the Bible, uh, 
And uh, that's that's a that's a blessing. And I'm thankful to have been around, I believe, some of the greatest preachers in the country. And I could go off uh, down a long list of men that I'm not even naming right now. We just don't have time to. But it's been a blessing to be around those men and to glean and uh, be ministered to by them and glean from their ministries. Amen. This is one of my favorite questions. Um, How does your daily life reflect your faith in Jesus Christ? Daily living and the discipline of of being a full-time pastor. Um, One of the things that uh, is convicting to me is when I read about how we're to handle our time Mm -hmm. in the New Testament. In the book of Ephesians, it speaks of redeeming the time. It's buying it back, using it up properly. Because that's one thing you don't get back when you spend time, whatever you're spending time doing, you don't get that time back. Um, I think one of the uh, one of the maybe regrets I have in the ministry is not uh, utilizing my time better Mm -hmm. Uh, because, you know, a lot of people I tease a lot of times they think the ministry is you work on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, you know. I'll tease some of the guys that call me Monday morning. They say, hey, what are you doing? Are you busy? I said, are you kidding? I don't work again till Wednesday night. And uh, But the truth of the matter is the ministry is a work, and uh, it has a lot of facets. It's more than just preaching. Preaching is the fun part, and that's about 2% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but preparing yourself, carving out that time for prayer, and carving out time to actually study and be in the Bible, to have something worth saying when you stand before the people, um, that is not as easy as it may seem. There are a thousand distractions. There's a thousand things, even legitimate things, that can eat up your time. And um, I think one of the best pieces of advice that I've received from different preachers through the years is is to give the, give time to your family because usually, when you realize I I, I need more time, the family is the one that gets gets cut out. Right. And uh, the balance of balance in your life that is so crucial. I you know I hear some guys say you got to get up four o'clock in the morning. You got to get up here. Bottom line is you got to have a schedule. You got to have some sort of a plan of what you're going to be doing. Right. And I think for me, my faith in Jesus Christ, I believe that we'll give an account of how we spent our time. Mm-hmm. Um, God gives us so much time. The Bible says, you know, obviously we know Psalm chapter 90, uh, you know, three score and 10. That's just a general 70 years old. That's the general lifespan of us, uh, of our life. Well, when one morning I did a Sunday school lesson where I, uh, drew a circle and I talked about, you know, my age. Well, that, over half my pie graph is gone. And that's sobering because you realize it says, teach us to number our days. That's wisdom. And I think one of the key things is using your time wisely. Right. Um, you're never wasting time when you're serving the Lord. Yeah. But a ministry where you are a full-time pastor, one of the perks, if you will, one of the blessings of being a full-time pastor is you do get to set a lot of your schedule. And you have to have some personal Holy Ghost given discipline in order right. to order your days aright. right, because without even intending to, you sure can waste time with frivolous non-essentials. And I think there's some things that are important. Uh, you know, obviously prayer time, that is crucial. Got to have that uh, time in the Bible. That's necessary. Time visiting some of your people who need your attention. That's crucial. Um, visits to the hospital, to, to witnessing to the lost, uh, you know, those are important things. You got to find time for all of that and, uh, and, you know, praise the Lord for the opportunity. But managing time, I think, is one of the crucial things to learn. And at times I've been convicted about not managing my time better. But I think that um, knowing that we only have so much 
Our life is a vapor. It's evaporating daily. We don't know what's going to happen. I mentioned uh, my grandfather earlier. He was 48 years old. If you'd ask him when he was 40 years old, how long do you think you'd live? I mean, I knew he he would not have known, obviously, how long he was going to live. But nobody thinks that today's the day that I'm going to meet Jesus Christ. And we really need to learn how to live our life so that I'm ready to meet him today and give an account today. And so I think that my faith in Jesus Christ, realizing I'm going to give an account, one of the most terrifying things for me is is the is the thought of what have I used my time doing? How much time have I wasted? And uh, that's probably the thing that grips my heart the most. As a pastor, how do you hope for yourself and your church to influence your your local community? I want our community to know that there is a church in the community. That's like the way church used to be. Um, I find many times, obviously, our, our Bible-believing brand of Christianity is sometimes misunderstood or misrepresented by those who would just as soon as we keep it within the four walls of the building. Right. Having a public ministry makes you a public entity that is talked about. Right. Well, I realize people have different opinions about the way you go about winning souls to Christ or personal work. But I want them to know that there is a church that's standing on some very strong position. Positionally, we're standing on some things very in a very strong way. We're taking a stand. But we do care about their souls, and that's the reason we're doing it. And I think that um, if they see how you handle, if you have the right kind of spirit, even as a street preacher, they may disagree with it, but they still know, well, that guy's the real thing. And that's the bottom line. Even if people disagree with how we're going about trying to get the gospel to Danville, Kentucky, even if they complain about it, even if they mock it, I want them to know, well, one thing about it, though, those people are for real. Even if I don't agree with that, I see that they actually are out there because they care about us. And I want the, I want the community to know that there's a church that cares about their souls and that right. ultimately wants to exalt Jesus Christ because he's the only hope that they have. And so um, I've had some good opportunities. I, I was privileged to be able to speak at the religions class at the Center College, which is one of the oldest colleges, maybe the oldest college uh in Kentucky, I'm not 100% on that, but mm-hmm. I went to that class for two hours and, and gave my testimony where I stood and then answered questions from 60 uh, center college students. And it was a blessing. There was many there that uh, did not see things my way at all. But the fact that I had uh, a reputation that I would be asked to go there and that they uh, wanted us to come. In fact, I asked that professor that day in the classroom uh, one of the questions from the students, one of the students, most of the questions were about our public ministry. And he says, does it work, was the question. Well, usually they mean, does it fill your church with people? Well, no, and we don't go out with that mentality. Right. We go out with the mentality, we're being obedient to Jesus Christ, and whatever he wants to do with it is up to him. Mm-hmm. And when he asked that question, immediately a question came to my mind, and I asked the professor, I said, why did you call me here today? Did I get the call? to represent fundamentalism because we preach on the street. And he nodded his head and said, yes. So I told that, that young man, I said, it does work because I said it unlocked your classroom. After 10 years of being on the streets here, you all know we're there. You all talk about, is it right? Is it wrong? We can't stand that, whatever. It still gave me a platform to come in here and be able to present Jesus Christ in a real way in this college. Right. And so it does work. And whatever they think about our methods doesn't matter as long as I have the right spirit. And uh, we've got people on the doors, knocking doors. We've got people making visits. 
We've had ministries in time past where people have played music in the hospital, just all kinds of different ways, any way to get an open door to present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're about. And I think everybody in this community, even other churches, know that's what that's what our main deal is, right. is uh, we want Jesus Christ to be exalted. We want people to know him, uh, not just know about him, but to know him personally. So we we are this community has been tracked. We've sent out every door direct mails. We've hung uh, DVDs on the on the door door hangers. Twenty thousand of them in this community. Uh, we're on the radio every Sunday, and uh, and I think they know what we're about. We're about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as long as we keep a good spirit, they know in their heart that whatever they think about our methods, they know these people do care about us. What has the King James Bible meant to your ministry over the years? The King James Bible is um, a crucial issue. And uh, for me, it has meant it's been liberating the truth about the Bible. It has been um, a confidence builder because the bottom line is this, whatever a person's position is about it. You know what we have to get down to? Everything in this day and age is so gray. Everything is so middle of the road. Well, that can be your opinion, but my opinion is this. And if that's your opinion, you're not. Everybody's always trying to find room for everyone's opinion. And we're not dealing with opinions. We're not dealing with agendas. We're not dealing with what you think or what I think. We've got to find out what did God say? And really, if we've got um, 50 different authorities, bottom line is you cannot play the game. You can't land anywhere and say anything with authority. I've been here over a decade, and uh, at the time we're doing this interview, I've been here 12 years, and I've never had to refer to an original language that no one knew because (laughs) um, we're studying the Bible in English, and it gives courage and confidence to the people in the pew for this reason. We have a final authority. That's what it comes down to. If someone wants to play Monopoly with me, and they do something on the board as we're playing. And I say, you can't do that. And they pull their rule book out and say, yes, I can. And I pull the Monopoly rule book out and say, no, you can't. If we have two rule books, we cannot play the game. And so there has to be somewhere where truth is absolute. And the Bible has shown itself over and over to be true. The English Bible we have in the authorized version of the Bible, um, it speaks to the heart. It tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Right. And it it gives confidence to Christians. I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I do not harp on the issue continually. Um, it is addressed from time to time. What I'm interested in is applying this Bible. And the light that God has given us gives us a great, greater responsibility that we are to make application. And I never fear that I'm going to have to answer Jesus Christ uh, for teaching that the, the King James Bible was the word of God. I've never been convicted that, boy, maybe I'm kind of hindering his people. I've always felt totally confident that I took his word and I obeyed his word and I taught his word. Comes down to final authority and the fact that we have something we can go to and we can get it settled right here. We don't have to have six different authorities to go to. And I think, you know, when people realize I have a Bible I can trust, I have a Bible that is accurate and correct, I have a Bible that is perfect. When they get up in the morning, they can read that with confidence in their heart, that I have the Word of God, 
that's what the whole that's what the whole deal around here is built upon. And if you're looking for the truth, we have it. And you can have it too. It's available. And uh, we, I thank God for the authority. I, I've told people before that if I did not think that I had what God said and I could not tell them what God said, I had to guess at it or put it together, um, I would just as soon not get up and say anything. Because who am I to get up and tell you what you're supposed to do for God if I don't know what God has said? And knowing that that Bible has been divinely protected and preserved. Right. Bottom line is, what's the point of inspiration? If God inspired a book, but did not preserve that book, what good does that do me today? Right. The truth of the matter is he not only inspired a book, but he preserved that book. He inspired words and he kept those words. And we believe that. And it's really not that hard of a thing to believe. It really doesn't take any, any more faith to believe that than what it does many of the other doctrines found in the Bible. And so uh, we found it to be a very unifying factor in our church as well. I had a lady email me one time. She said, we listen to you online. We enjoy your preaching. Uh, we do disagree in one area. We, uh, we carry an ESV. We do not believe that any one Bible is the perfect word of God, that they're all contain the word of God. Mm -hmm. She said, we would still like to come to your congregation because we feel like that, you know, you could help us. She said, my question is, will we be welcome there? Well, you know, that's a that's a trap door. Yeah. And I wrote back and I said, you are welcome. Whatever Bible you carry in here, I don't care if you carry a Quran in here and sit and listen to me preach. It's a free country. And that's what I love about America. You're welcome to come in here with we do not have Bible police in the lobby, as has been falsely <laughs> gossiped about us. We're not going to grab the spine of your Bible and look to see what you're carrying. Right. We're going to present the truth in such a way that you're going to figure out that I need to get with the program. Right. Um, and I told the lady, you're welcome here. But I said, we take this, uh, we're very serious about this subject. And I, I believe that if she had sat here, if they, I, they never did come as far as I know. And I said, you're welcome. But if you sit here, I think within 12 months that you'll find out that we, we're on to the truth. And this is not something that we're just, uh, blindly following. This is something that's true and can be proven in a court of law. Right. And uh, I told her, I said, you're welcome to come. But I said, you do need to know that we are what we are and we're not. We want you to know that up front. If that's not what you believe, then this isn't the church for you. But if you're willing to come, even if you're unsure about it and willing to sit and listen, we believe that we could present enough evidence that your heart would be convinced as well. And, uh, and you could come in on the blessing of knowing you have a perfect, inspired and preserved Bible. Amen. You are a big proponent of reading. And uh, so far as I can tell, you spend quite a bit of, of time reading a wide array of books. How many books do you estimate you have, you have read up to this point in your life? As far as how many books I have read, I, I, really, I really don't know. I couldn't give you an estimate. I do know this, that I love to read. And when I read, I feel like I'm better equipped to preach the sermon. And when I say read, I'm not just talking about reading the Bible. I'm talking about just books. I prefer, um, I like reading biographies. I like reading history. Biographies of saved and lost men, simply because those biographies help you to learn human nature. Right. And the greatest book on human nature is the Bible. Right. But when you begin to know the Bible and you begin to read about how men view the world, you can see where they missed or where they maybe. They always look for answers in the wrong place. So it's always interesting to read real stories. I, I don't read fiction. I don't feel like I have time to. 
I want to read something that's real. I want to read real history about real people, real events. So I like reading history. I like reading biographies of the saved and the lost. Love to read church history, should read more of it. And of course, commentaries. I like to know what other men saw in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can't use them as a crutch. Obviously, you've got to do your own Bible study. But a man is a fool who does not learn from other good men. Sure. Uh, because it's um, a lot of times I've found that men have uh, progr- um, moved me forward in my Bible understanding mm-hmm. um, quickly because I was able to take their thoughts and and compare it to the Bible and learn things quicker. And I love to read. I have no idea how many books I've read, but I like to be reading. And I'm, I'm usually always reading. One of my favorite things uh, someone got me um, was a, a Kindle Paperwhite. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I wasn't too keen on it. I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to use this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I ended up being able to put like 175 volumes on that thing. And I love it because I used to, when I would take a trip or be traveling through an airport, I'd have a backpack that weighed 50 pounds because I, you know, before you're leaving out the door, you're going, I got to take that book. Well, I'm going to read this too. And I might need this. <laughs> Next thing you know, you've got, you know, like a small library that yeah. you're toting around and your back is broken. <laughs> now I've got all my library and it's on a little carrier. It's great. So I'm reading in the airport. I'm reading in, on the airplane, I'm reading in, in hotels. And I love it. I love reading. Sure. And it, it sharpens my mind. Mm-hmm. And it also, and listen, I like to read. I rarely, this right or wrong, some guys would agree or disagree. A lot of times the guys I'm reading are not independent Baptists. Right. I already know what independent Baptists think because I am one. <laughs> but it's like I, I one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite authors is Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. Yeah. I began to read him probably three years ago. He's a Presbyterian. He pastored Westminster Chapel there for thirty years, the forties, fifties, and sixties. His books really are not books that he wrote. It's books of his sermons. Right. His sermons cause my heart to burn. And um, his theology is even slightly different than mine, although some of his points I've had to, I've had to say he's right and my viewpoint was wrong. Right. And I like that. I don't mind that. Um, I, want to, uh, I want to learn from other men. And I think it was uh, Bob Jones Sr. that said, every man ought to scoop a little cream off another man's brain. <laughs> How did you come to understand the power of written language? Written language is one of the things that I'm amazed at is I read most of the guys I read are from way back. Maybe they're a hundred years. They wrote a hundred years ago or even 50 years ago or 200 years ago. Right. One of the things that is amazing to me is good writers were able to say so much in a paragraph. (laughs) My lack of understanding of the English language and my lack of being, you know, I tell the church all the time, we do not speak English. We speak American. And my point is this is um, it takes me 10 minutes to say what some great preachers of yesteryear could say in two sentences. Right. And those two sentences are so powerful. You read them and you have to go back and read them again. <laughs> and you have yeah. to put the book down and think, I want to say that if I try to say that my limited vocabulary causes me to have to spin around for five minutes and I still don't have the impact that those two sentences had. And there's something about men who could articulate their thoughts, their feelings, their doctrine, their theology so quickly and so precisely. It was like a sword that would cut your, cut your heart or pierce your mind where you're like, that's it. And I want to learn better how to articulate my thoughts through proper use of words. And I find out how little, um, 
how little I have. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I find out how little I know about how to use our language to get across my thoughts when I read well-versed men right. who are, you know, not just intellectually wise and educated, but men who learned the Bible and the Spirit of God showed them how to articulate thoughts. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is words matter. And I, I know that from reading from preachers of yesteryear who were brilliant men and who can hit you in one paragraph, they can preach us what takes me 20 minutes to preach today. What advice would you give young people just getting started in the ministry? The advice that I would give to young people is um, get involved. If you're just starting out in your ministry, uh, if you haven't taken a church or gone to the mission field, or if, if you're just getting started in a ministry, you know God wants you to go somewhere. Get involved in everything that church is doing. That should be a natural response. Right. People shouldn't look around and be surprised that you're at the nursing home. They shouldn't be surprised that you came to the streets or that you volunteered to do something. Right. I think it's important to keep a great, great, open relationship with your pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, pastors are not lords. They're not dictators, but they are gifted men. And according to Ephesians 4, pastors and teachers are gifts to the body of Christ. Use the gifts that God gives you. Find good men that you uh, watch and observe that you realize these are real men. These are real faithful men right. and learn from them. Spend time with them and do a lot of listening to them. Run uh, your thoughts by them. Don't make your plans and then go to them and want them to rubber stamp your plans. Uh, go to them before you make your plans mm -hmm. and tell them, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? What am I not seeing? What are my blind spots? And what that takes is a lot of humility and uh, humbleness which I fear is lacking even in new Christians many times and even in seasoned Christians. We kind of feel like we reach a, a plateau where well, I pretty much got this wisdom thing down and I know how to make good, wise decisions. You still need, you need the wisdom. The Bible says that there's safety in the multitude of counselors. Use those men, listen to them, take them right. serious and, uh, and just get underneath the wings of someone who has shown themselves faithful and that you can follow along and do not, I think too many people miss the the blessing of getting some help and wisdom from older men of God in their church, whether it be a pastor or a, an aged deacon or a trustee, whatever, someone who has, has been there and done it and continued on, been through some storms in life. That's crucial. And I think that many times people just get their big plans in their head and they just plow forward Right. And they fail to benefit from the blessings and the gifts that God has placed in their path. So I would just say, get under a good man of God somewhere, a good pastor that, you know, cares about the people, cares about the will of God. And I think that's crucial. Get involved in everything you can get involved in a local church and honor that pastor. And I'll say this also, the devil doesn't want you benefiting from your pastor. Right. So he is going to throw fiery darts and he's going to try to get strongholds in your mind and drive a wedge between the pew and the pulpit. Hmm. If there is static that you feel building, go to that pastor and discuss those things, get it out in the air, get it out in the open privately. Do not allow that to fester in your heart because what the devil likes to do is he likes to get in the thought process of people. He, the Bible speaks of evil surmising just one time. It was, uses the word surmising once it's called evil not blessed surmising, but evil surmising because <laughs> yeah. the Holy Ghost knows that we don't, when we begin to think about someone and begin to turn thoughts over in our mind and surmise about what do they mean by that? Right. Why did they say that? Why did they do that? 
Why did they not talk to me just then? Why did the devil, we don't think good things about it. We always think the worst possible deal. And if we're not careful, those things take root in our minds and we can find ourselves ill with a brother in Christ, irritated with them, agitated at them. And they've done nothing other than what we imagined in our mind that they did. That is a classic way that the devil gets in in churches and creates drama and creates problems Mm -hmm. because people leave and they think these things over and they conclude things in their mind without having all of the facts. The best thing to do uh, for a young person getting into the ministry is keep a healthy and an open relationship with your pastor and the good men of that church. And if there is a problem, if there is static, go and talk that thing through and uh, don't sit there and stew because God will not bless that. And, and you're, you're going to have, you're going to hinder your growth if you allow things to take root in your heart. The Bible talks about that root of bitterness. It springs up. That means it comes up quick and it doesn't just defile you, but it defiles many. Mm-hmm. So keep your heart clean and keep a good spirit, a spirit of charity and graciousness toward the people you go to church with and especially toward your pastor because God's put that point man there to help you. He's not the Lord over your life, but God does use pastors and he gives them wisdom and he gives them gifts to help you to get to your full potential for the calls and the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we'll start back from the top. So these are comparison questions. The rapid fire, as I call them out, this the first one that pops to your head. Okay. Just go for it. So... Call or text? Call. <laughs> Book or ebook? Book. Email or letter? Letter. Driver or passenger? Driver. <laughs> Coke or Pepsi? Coke. <laughs> Cats or dogs? Dogs. Yeah. <clears throat> Android or iOS? I have no idea what that is. <laughs> Neither. Pass. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. <laughs> Laundry or dishes? Laundry. <laughs> Mornings or nights? Nights. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Fruits or veggies? Fruit. Sweet or salty? Sweet. Mountains or ocean? Mountains. Africa or Asia? Asia. <laughs> oh, man. You let me down there. <laughs> City or country? S- country. Yes. Country? Yeah, country, definitely. Yeah. Sarcastic or serious? Sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, brother. Amen. Amen. Brightly beam. Our Father's mercy from His lighthouse evermore. But to us He gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning, send a gleam across the way. Some poor fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue, you may save.
feeble at my brother Some poor sailor tempest tossed Trying down to make the harbor In the darkness may be lost Let the lower lights be burning Send a gleam across the way Some poor fainting struggling seamen You may rescue, you may save you enjoyed this podcast you can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com you can hear more plenteous redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you also inform us of future topics that would interest you thank you again for listening to the plenteous redemption podcast